Okay, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah with all these names of God, which we're continuing. Um, we are wanting to have a story that fits the name, and so I'm going to be in the book of Isaiah. If you're kind of new to the Bible, if on your phone, it's easy to find. If you're new to the Bible, it's just right of center. See, I just opened Isaiah 14. We're going to be in Isaiah 6, um, one of the great prophets, and we'll get to that story in a minute. Um, wanted to publicly thank Jordan for preaching and teaching last week. Um, he did a great job. The thing he shared is something I encountered on my sabbatical back in 2015 that was a game changer for me, and this sermon actually closely relates to all that. Um, also want to give thanks to Caleb West. Caleb has been our facilities manager for like 15 years, and he's officially ending that reign. I don't know why I call it a reign, but he's, he's stepping down officially from that at the end of uh, April. Um, he's got some other fish he wants to fry. He's still going to be engaged with helping us with some projects, so it's not like Caleb's like totally gone kind of thing. Still an important part of our body. Um, but he's, you know, love Caleb. He's been such a significant part of his body. So if you see him, just give him a, uh, a heads up and a, I mean, a heads, a, just a, hey, great job and love and appreciate you. Um, one final thing. Cade's not here this morning, is he? I see the Kohlmeyer clan. Um, a few weeks ago, Emporia State was in the NCAA Disc Golf Championship, and entering into Friday, I mean, entering Saturday morning, they were in first place. Pretty amazing, huh? Cade is one of four dudes, can I call him a dude, that was on that team? Uh, do what? Were you on the team too? Dude, okay, I didn't realize that. Like, And they, like, I was following that on Saturday. In fact, I'm texting Ryan. He was, he was the dad, so he was a lot more nervous than I was. But, um, and I'm even using baseball lingo. Oh, man, they're rounding third. I think they can make it. And, he's, and then he texts me like, there's going to be a throw to home. And I'm like, what? You know, and I never found out what happened. We need to talk. But anyways, they, I mean, major universities, they ended up taking second place. They beat Missouri, okay? If you're, if you're from Kansas, right? I mean, beating Missouri, um, whether you're a Jayhawk fan or not, that's really cool. But just wanted to give a kudos to that. I just thought that was... Uh, that was really cool, really cool that you guys did so well. So, um, all right, back to, uh, that's important, but more important things. That's a family thing. Um, you know, one of the first names of God that we encountered was Yahweh Tzidkanu. That was back in February, where God said, I am your righteousness. Um, and that morning, we talked about, that was about salvation, and we talked about the fact that, um, that our righteousness is found in God and God alone. And that was really about me coming into a relationship with God. That, like most people think, which I thought for a long time, like, if you bring enough good works, if your good outweighs your bad, you can get into heaven. And the Bible says that's not true at all. You bring nothing to the table of your salvation. None of your goodness can save you. You are not good enough, right? You, my, I am your righteousness. If you want to know me and be saved by me and be in a relationship with me and have eternity with me, you have to come with me through Jesus Christ, God who came into, in, under earth, who lived the perfectly righteous life that I will never, I don't even hold a candle to him. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should should have died, and then he offers me salvation as a gift, right? Just believe in me. Put your faith in me. Receive forgiveness for what I did on the cross, and then I will clothe you with my righteousness. So that was really important. That was about, about our salvation, and love that name. I would say that most of us here today know God as that, as Yahweh Tzidkanu, as God is my righteousness. I've accepted Jesus. My eternity is set. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I know there are people here still on a journey, haven't come to that point yet, haven't given their life to Christ. That's okay. Um, 
what I want to do this morning is I want to speak to those who have entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, okay? That's who I'm speaking primarily to today. Um, if you're still on the journey, I'm glad you're here this morning. This is something that what it would like if you came to Christ, what that after would look like. And here's what I want to say. In fact, I just had a conversation with Brother Samuel back there. That, you know, he's like, man, my, like receiving salvation is a gift from God. That was great. I bank that. I love that. He said, what I struggle with is my sanctification, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. I, I struggle with my living life after that fact as a follower of Jesus. That's where my struggle is. And I mean, isn't that true with all of us? It's that daily living out our faith. Um, it's just those ongoing struggles where I continue to see the darkness in my heart. There's those sins that I still struggle with. I'm, I get in so easily entangled in. Um, the temptations I just can't seem to overcome, my lack of agape love for the people around me, my, that deeply ingrained self-centeredness, right? Um, still struggling with doubts and trusting God at times. And what I would say is, is what we struggle with, for those who follow Jesus, is we struggle in our sanctification. That's our big struggle, right? We struggle in our lack of progress towards holiness and purity once we know Him, we struggle with becoming more and more like Jesus, which is God's desire for us. And I want to really make sure, I don't want to leave this unclear at all. So I want to define briefly sanctify, sanctification, this language that I'm going to use this morning. To sanctify means to make holy and pure. And sanctification is the process where God takes somebody who knows Jesus and the Spirit of God is living in them. It's the process of Him making them holy and pure over time, okay? Okay. It's the process of God taking somebody who's received Jesus and making them more and more like Jesus. So this morning I'm talking about sanctification, and I just want to be really clear up front. I am not talking about salvation. This is not how you come to know God. This is after you know Him and have the Spirit, okay? So I hope we're clear on that. It's about the growth of a believer once they have salvation. So my big question is, is why this struggle with sanct our sanctification? And I think a lot of it has to do with this fact Something I struggled with for a long time, in that I thought for a long time that I am my sanctification. God's my righteousness, He's my Savior, but I'm my sanctification. I thought that for a long time. I'd welcomed Jesus into my life back when I was a teen, right? Um, he had put His Holy Spirit in my, lo my life, my heart, and, but from there, I thought it was all on me. So I was trying to avoid temptation. I was trying to obey all the commands in the Bible. I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to become like Jesus. You know, uh, the church I became a believer in, I was trying, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't, the girl, don't date the girls that do, right? That was kind of my whole emphasis is I'm just trying to be good, okay? But if you're like me, what I found out is that led me to massive failure, um, and it just didn't work well. I would see little spurts of progress, but it would feel like it wasn't very deep and it wasn't long-lasting. And so that, that kind of frustration in my sanctification. And you know, for a long time, nobody told me that my sanctification wasn't my job. Nobody told me that. That's just kind of what I felt like was assumed around me. I didn't understand that my sanctification is God's job. Didn't get that. And that was a big part of my problem. So I want to show that to you in Scripture, okay? I want us to leave here today with a new vision of who God is. And this comes from Exodus 31, 12, and 13. And there it says this, The Lord told Moses, You are to tell the Israelites, You are to certainly observe my Sabbath, because it's a sign between me and you from generation to generation, so that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
And those last words in that English translation are a compound name of God and it's self-revelation of one of his names in Hebrew. It is, he says, Yahweh, I am M. Kadesh, I am your sanctification. Okay, can we say that? Yahweh M. Kadesh, can you say that with me? Yahweh M. Kadesh, I am your sanctification. That's what it means. Um, the I am is my sanctification. The I am is your sanctification. He's my sanctification, not me. Now, I want to go to Isaiah 6. I want to show you this in a story form, okay? So in Isaiah 6, if you're there, and I'm reading from the NIV. In Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which are... Weird angel-like creatures, okay? Seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, their feet. With two wings, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, which, by the way, I, the NIV, I feels like, blows it. It's Yahweh Tzabaoth. I am the sovereign Lord of heaven's armies, okay? The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried, and this is Isaiah, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Tzabaoth. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, the altar of God. With it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, who will go for us, and I said, here am I, send me, and he said, go. And I'm going to stop there. That's, by the way, why we end every Sunday with, you are sent. It's my way of joining God and saying, go, okay? Go. This story, most commentators believe this is not Isaiah's salvation experience, that he already had that relationship with God, but this is his call into ministry, and it's more about his sanctification. And there's a really important concept in this story that relates to God being Yahweh M. Kadesh, my sanctifier. And it's in verse 5. It's the word unclean, which occurs two times in verse 5. Do you see it? Twice that word unclean. It was a really important concept in the Old Testament. And I want to talk about this concept of clean and unclean for a minute. It occurs in the book of Leviticus, older part of the Old Testament. It's the covenant that God made with his people, the Israelites. And a key theme in the book of Leviticus is the holiness of God and his call for his people to be holy. And many times when it's talking about holiness, it ties it to this idea of being holy is like being clean and being pure. And so you also see this concept of things that are unclean or that are impure and that are unholy. And in Leviticus, it talks about if you come into contact with something or someone that is unclean or impure, their uncleanness and their impurity, I'll show it up here, that if I come into contact with them, um, that with a clean thing, then the clean thing becomes unclean. Does that make sense? I think I started that kind of wrong, on a wrong foot. That if anything unclean comes into contact with something clean, the clean thing becomes unclean. So the unclean contaminated the clean, and the impure contaminated the pure. And that's why G Jewish people would avoid anything or anyone that was unclean, that was defined that way, at any cost. Not just touching, but even being in proximity, they thought made them unclean. So that's why they would stay away from lepers. 
Um, and that's why lepers in Jesus' day um, would walk about crying out any time they were in public, unclean, unclean, because they were warning people, don't get near me, and people would stay away from them, all right? So now with that in our pocket, I want to go back to Isaiah 6, and this time I'm going to have it on the screen. Um, yeah, I didn't finish that, but any time the, un- the cl- unclean touches the clean, the clean becomes unclean, Okay. That's it graphically. So Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, with two wings they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, or is Yahweh Tzabaoth, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Tzabaoth. So in the story, Isaiah is having this personal encounter with God. He sees God in all of his holiness. And anytime you encounter God in his holiness, it shines a spotlight on my unholiness and my uncleanness and my impurity, right? I see myself for who I truly am. And that's what happens to him. And that's why he says, woe is me. I'm ruined because I'm unclean and these people are all unclean. Now, remember, when an unclean thing came into contact with a clean thing, which contaminated which? The unclean contaminated the clean, okay? But not here and not with God. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So here's what Isaiah is teaching us, something really profound that's preparing us for Messiah, Jesus, is this, that when God, who is clean, touches anything unclean, the unclean becomes clean. Isn't that cool? That when God, who is clean, touches anything unclean, the unclean becomes clean. That's almost like a uh, Dr. Seuss, like rhyme kind of thing. And that is why God says, that one of my names is Yahweh M. Kadesh. I am your sanctifier. I'm the one who sanctifies you. I'm the one who makes unholy things holy. I'm the one who makes unclean things clean. I'm the one who makes impure things pure. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, what? May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've been seeing with all of God's names, Jesus embodies all of them, right? He embodies all of them. And anytime we see Jesus encountering anybody who they would have said was unclean, be it lepers, that woman with the 12 years of bleeding, um, the dead, he not only approaches them, but he touches them. And when he touches them, the healing from him goes into them. But not only that, his cleanness and his purity goes into them just like Isaiah 6. Isn't that really cool? So Jesus is God in human flesh. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him, the Father, you are in, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and what? Sanctification. 
Just as God is my sanctifier, so is Jesus. Now, here's why this is so important. Why I have been dying to get to this name for two months. It's been really hard for me to hold this one back, okay? Because with many of us, there has been a great disconnect. That we believe, those of us who've received Jesus, we know and believe that God is Yahweh Yitzhak Kanu, that He is my righteousness, that my righteousness is found in Him and Him alone. We know that, right? Clearly, those of us who love Jesus and have accepted Him. But when it comes to our sanctification, sorry, when it comes to our sanctification, we do not know that God is also Yahweh M. Kandesh, that He is my sanctifier, and that my sanctification comes in Him and in Him alone. Or if we do know it, a lot of us don't really believe that reality, the way we trust in Him for our salvation. And here's why that is so important, this, this disconnect. Because if I do not know, or if I know but I truly do not believe that God alone is my sanctifier, then my Christian life will be all about trying, trying to grow, trying to become holy, trying to become more like Jesus. My guess is you've seen this in your own life. I've seen it in mine, right? The list of shoulds and shouldn'ts, the do's and don'ts, just like that dude up there. I go through my Christian life grunting and groaning, striving and straining to become a better Christian, right? Um, In my own willpower, in my own effort, I am trying I am trying to get a handle on my anger problem or on my lust problem or my pride problem or my anxiety, fear, and worry problem, or we could go on and on. And we all know how well that works, right? Not very well. And here's why our trying doesn't change anything. Because the problem, the root problem is with my heart. It's in the heart. And I cannot change my heart. I don't even have the ability to do that. That's why my attempts at self-sanctification utterly fail every time, every time, because it's all about me. It's about my strength. It's about my effort. It's about my willpower. I want you to see what Scripture says about this in Colossians 2. Paul is so profound on this. Colossians 2, 20 to 23. He says, why do you act as if you still belong to this world by following rules like these? Don't handle this and don't taste that. Don't touch that thing. These rules are only human commands and teachings. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they do not really control the evil desires of the sinful self. Amen to that? I mean, don't you know that reality? And it's why Paul says in Galatians 2, 2 and 3, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses, by being good, right? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Trying doesn't work. I want you, I'm really wanting you to leave today with this deeply embedded in your soul, okay? That God is Yahweh M. Kadesh, that He and He alone is my sanctifier, that my sanctification is found in Him and Him alone, not in myself, not in my effort. It's something that only God can do in us and through us and to us. Only He can impart to us His holiness in His sanctifying work. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be, what is that word? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's in the Greek, but it's also in the English. That verb, be transformed, is in the passive tense. 
Passive tense means it happens to me, I don't do it. So transformation is not something I can do. It's only something he can do. And, and it makes sense because my sanctification, is an, it has to be an inside job. And the only one who can do that inside job, something I can't do, is the Holy Spirit. And that's where he comes in. And I love the Holy Spirit. I love the whole Trinity. Love the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says in Romans 15, 16. He gave me, this is Paul, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by who? Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of the most powerful texts, I think, in the whole Bible, Paul writes, the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The Amplified Bible says it this way, we all are progressively being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the, what? Who is the Spirit. And if I may... I want to give you the Garen translation of that verse. Can I do that? Day by day, with ever-increasing glory, we are being inwardly transformed by the Spirit of the Lord to be like Jesus and to reflect His glory. Is this not cool that the whole Trinity gets involved in this? Actually, all these names apply to the whole Trinity. But the Father is my sanctifier, Jesus is my sanctifier, and the Holy Spirit gets in on the gig too. Isn't that great? Um, and I want to tell you, he has to be involved because it's that inward work that has to happen, and he's the one that can do that inside-out work. So here's what I want you to leave here. I want you to leave here with kind of a lot of messages. I hope it's not too many, but it, this is a big one. Your sanctification, the transformation of your heart, that is the Holy Spirit's job. It's not your job. It's not my job. This whole thing about being transformed in the image of Jesus, it's not behavior modification. It is the renovation of my heart, and only the Spirit of God can get in there and renovate my heart. It's that inside-out job. This truth is so bedrock. I want you to read that with me. Can you read this with me? I want this ingrained in our minds. All right, join me. It's the Holy Spirit's job to transform and sanctify me. Now, I want you to say this next one with conviction. It's not my job. Can we do that again? It's not my job. I need to take a drink. Is that okay? So here's my question, because I'm always full of questions, if you know me. How, right? How does that happen? I mean, in real life, how does that happen? Does that mean I just do absolutely nothing? I just lay around in bed all day and the Holy Spirit just morphs me into Jesus just doing nothing, right? Well, I want to answer that question. And I want to answer that question with, I want to give you a picture, an illustration that I hope sticks with you because it sticks with me. Um, there's a phenomena in physics referred to as resonant frequency. Um, I, my son-in-law loved physics. I put that up there for, for Hostway because he loves physics. It even has a math equation. I did this for Brian Hollenbeck. He was in first service, math professor. I, I wanted him to go home warm and filled, right, spiritually blessed today. So that's for Brian. But here's the idea with resonant frequency. The, with resonant frequency, the idea that um, the sound vibrations in one object can actually affect the vibrations in another object if they're both tuned to the same pitch or the same note. Um, 
I want to give you some examples in a minute of this. That every material thing actually has a resonant frequency to it. And if you will sing or play the note that its resonant um, frequency is, it will begin to vibrate. And it's quiet, but it will begin to make the sound of the note that's influencing it. Okay? Um, all things have a resonant frequency. And when they vibrate... Um, on that note, it's called sympathetic vibration, so sympathetic. The guitar is a good example. If you take a tuning fork and you were to strike it, and it were to resonate with a frequency that one of those strings is tuned to, that guitar string will begin to vibrate, and if you get close enough, you'll hear that note on the guitar string. I just saw this in worship. During the first song only, whatever it was, the resonant frequency of either this cup or this water was set to a note that was being played in that song because this started doing waves inside of it, but the other three songs it didn't. So it was resonating sympathetically with something that was going on up here. Hopefully you were resonating sympathetically with worship. Piano is the same thing. If you were to take the G note, and I'm not an expert, but if you were to just push it down to take the damper off of it, and then you were to hit the G note an octave lower, that that sound will actually resonate with this G note and it will begin to vibrate. And if you were able to get your, your ear down close enough, you would hear the G note coming from that string. We know this from other, one other place, that a crystal goblet has a particular frequency. And that if a person will sing at the right note and powerfully enough, it will begin to vibrate to the point that it can shatter, right? So that's this whole idea of resonant frequency and sympathetic vibration. And I share this with you because this is how sanctification works. This is how it works. Our sanctification is a matter of ourselves sympathetically vibrating with the Spirit of God. And let me stop for a minute because there have been a few giggles and I need to apologize. I apologize to Lisa on Thursday. Lisa, I, I had a hard time finding a cool diagram of a dude with a heart that had sympathetic vibration and he looks really whacked and kind of looks like a Teletubby and Teletubbies are weird. So I'm sorry about that. But here's the thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit of God is constantly seeking to sanctify me, to, to bring about in me the, whole, the holiness and the purity of Jesus. And he's singing to our soul, so to speak, all the time, longing to, to renovate our hearts and transform us. But we have to resonate with him sympathetically. Does that make sense? We have to resonate with him. We have to vibrate with him. And for that to happen, and that's probably too small to see for people my generation who are probably far back for that to happen, I have to be in tune with Him, with the Holy Spirit. I have to be attuned to Him for that resonant frequency, the, vi the sympathetic vibration to happen. Okay, nice picture. Well, how does that happen in my life? And you guys are so full of questions today. Um, I appreciate that because I get to answer them. Um, here's how it happens. It happens through... Um, oh, there it is. How's that happen? Through the triangle of transformation. I've talked about this before many years ago. Probably nobody remembers it, and that's fine. I'm going to do it a little bit differently, but I owe this to Dave Mitchell, a dear friend and pastor in Wichita, and Jack Jewett, who actually first shared it with me. Um, and here it is. And again, the center of it all is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the center of it all. He alone is Yahweh M. Kadesh. He is my sanctifier. Um, he's the only one that can change and transform my heart. But that doesn't mean I don't have a part. And that's where the three sides of the triangle come in. On my part, first, it takes willingness. I have to be willing to be changed and transformed by him. I have to long for that. There's multiple times in the Bible when Jesus approaches somebody who's needing healing. And Jesus will even ask them, what do you desire from me? 
And they'll say, and on several occasions, he says, are you willing? Because he's not going to force something on you. So I've got to be willing. I've got to have a longing in here that I want to become like Jesus. Um, for those of you that are a little bit older, my generation, maybe from the late 80s, there's a song that sometimes I'm just tired of where my heart is. And I'll sing this song as a prayer. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Would you mold me and make me? This is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. I want to be like you. So that, that willingness is the first thing. Next comes training. Not trying, which most of us do, but training. And there's a big difference. Um, I can show up in a few Saturdays and try the DK200. I don't remember what it's called now. I like the DK better anyways, okay? So we'll, we'll get that out of the video. I don't want to offend anybody who renamed it. Um, but I could show up and just try to do the DK200, and how well do you think that's going to go, the little 200? I'll make it 20 miles. I'll crumble and collapse, right, and be out of, out of sight for a week or something. Um, I can try, but I'm going to fail miserably. Because in anything, in anything where proficiency is required, it requires training, not just trying. Trying's never enough. I've got to train to it. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. In the Good News Translation, keep yourself in training for a godly life. So rather than trying to be godly and holy, we keep ourselves in training for a godly life. And you might be a little bit like, what's the difference? And I want to share to you what's the difference. What does that mean? What does that involve? Ask anybody involved in any type of training, and they will tell you that training requires exercises and environments, both of those things. And it's the same in the spiritual life. And what I'm going to say next to me is so important. I'm going to do this word for word. Is that okay? This is so important. I don't want anybody to miss it. Specifically, in regards to the spiritual life, the purpose of exercise and environments is to attune my heart to the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose, to attune my heart to Him. Spiritual training involves regularly entering into environments and engaging in exercises so I can encounter God and connect with Him. That's the point. It's all about abiding in Jesus. That's the point of them, my training. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branch. If you will abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing, right? Fruitfulness comes through abiding Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit that the Spirit produces in you, the heart fruit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it's about abiding and the Spirit producing things in us. So you guys, you help me. What are some of the spiritual exercises that help me to connect with Jesus, that help me to attune myself to the frequency of the Holy Spirit? What would you say? I want to hear some things. Do what? The word? Prayer. Sorry. Prayer. Okay. Anybody have a second one since I just said it? Yeah, prayer tunes my heart to him. Do what? Yeah, meditating. Worship. Yes. What else? Waiting. Yeah, waiting, right, Warren? Yeah, right, waiting on him. To me, yeah, that's a very much an exercise and environment. The Word of God, that's what I meditate on, right? This is what forms me. So tell me, what are some soul environments 
that help me to connect with him and attune my heart to the Spirit of God? What are some of those environments? Yeah, church. Let me, let me, let me take, no, no offense to anybody. That, that word, and let me make it a non-Christian word like I grew up liking and still like, community, right? And that being like this community, this kind of gathering right here where we're worshiping together, we're in the word together. This is an environment that helps attune me to the Spirit of God. Okay, give me some more environments. Yeah, small groups, going even smaller than that. People that I'm sharing my life with. I would even add, we did triads and things a few years ago. It's my one-on-one or my two or three guys I meet with who know me deeply. I share deeply what's going on in my life and they hold me accountable. Yeah, about this environment, by the way. Um, there are people since COVID like who were, who were just online for a long time and there are people who are there legitimately right now. So I'm not talking to them. But people who after a year, kind of came back and they're like, oh my gosh, being in this environment is so much better than just being at home with a screen, right? Because environments shape us. I think the environment of quietness, of solitude, those are all environments that help, that help form us. So I really want to be crystal clear on this, okay? Spiritual exercise and environments are not about me changing myself. That's what, not what they're about. Spiritual exercises are simply the way we make ourselves fully present to the God who is already fully present to me. That's all they are. So when I am training, when I'm regularly entering into soul environments, engaging in spiritual exercises, what I'm doing is I'm placing myself, my body, my soul, my spirit, before God, and I'm simply making myself available to Him. That's what's going on when I'm training And these exercise environments are the way I open myself up to the Spirit of God so that He can have His work in my life. Does that make, am I being clear? I'm saying this probably like, Garen, you've said that five different ways. But to me, it's so important. I want you to know, these practices are not about, these environments and exercises are about me measuring how spiritual I am or comparing myself to you. The second you start measuring yourself by these things, you've killed them. The purpose is gone. You're not connecting with God. They're to attune my heart to the Spirit. So these practices simply create the space in my life where God can work. These exercise and environments are simply the means by which I cultivate and nurture my relationship with God. They're just the way I meet with Him. That's what they are. And as I posture myself before the Spirit, I'm posturing myself before Him. And as I attune myself to Him through word and prayer and worship and in community and in small group and all of that, and as I'm living on mission, serving others, I am gradually over time changed by Him changed by him. Does that make sense? Okay. Clear? Are we clear? Good on all that? I hope so. My part also requires dependence, utter dependence upon him to do the work of transformation in my heart. I willingly engage in these spiritual exercises. I get in these soul environments, but I do so with great humility, knowing that the transforming work is his, not mine. I'm not forcing his hand. Does that make sense? So great humility. Um, I come into these things always with the words of Jesus on my mind in John 15, 5, where he says, without me, you can do nothing. So I'm utterly dependent on him in this. No pride in all of this, right? And then finally, all of this must be infused with the grace of God because his transforming work is slow. Um, as Richard Foster once said, God is creating a mighty oak tree that takes years, okay? 
It takes time. And so when I stumble and I fall and I mess up, I, have, I, t- I take God's grace on me and then he still smiles on me and loves me and I don't beat myself up, right? And I allow him to help pick me up and move on. But I think more importantly, I also exhibit the grace of God towards all the other people who follow Jesus around me. And I know that all of you, he's changing and transforming you in the way he wants to, in the area he wants to, and that's his job and not mine, right? So we give grace to each other. Amen on that? Grace to each other. So, you see, it's all about being in tune with the Spirit. That's what it's all about. It's all about being attuned with Him, of sympathetically vibrating with the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Do you see how profound this name is? Do you see how profound this name is? That we worship not only the God who is Yahweh Tzidkenu, who is my righteousness, who, who saves me from my sin, but we worship the God who is also, who proclaims, I am Yahweh Im Kadesh, I am your sanctification. Do you see how freeing this is? When I came to realize this, this was a paradigm changer for me. It changed the whole way I approached the spiritual life. Um, it was a big shift. So here's the question I have this morning is... Will you receive this gift from him? Those of you who received the gift of salvation, will you also receive the gift of sanctification? Will you receive that? Or will you continue to strive and strain, grunt and groan, grit your teeth, trying to self-sanctify? Will you receive this gift? So 12, here's my challenge to all of us. Let's rest in his being our sanctifier. Can we rest in that? Letting the Holy Spirit have that work. Leaning into Him, willingly, longing to be made new by Him. Entering into training, exercising environments, not to show how great I am or to make myself spiritual, just to be with Him and attune my heart to Him. That's the whole purpose, right? And doing that in utter dependence on Him. The Lord, without you in this thing, nothing will happen. And all of that infused with grace. Grace upon myself, grace upon each other. Can we do that? That's my challenge. Can we do that? Last week when Jordan talked about the cycle of works and cycle of grace, this really has a lot to do with this. So if you want to hear the connection, listen to the podcast we're going to do tomorrow. So a few final questions that I want us to think about. Number one, are you willing to be transformed by God? Are you, I just want to know, where are you in the willingness thing Are you longing for that? Are you willing to give up trying? You're trying at self-sanctification, become utterly dependent on Him for your heart transformation. You willing for that to happen? More importantly, I think, are these next questions. Out of love for Him, are you regularly and intentionally entering into environments and engaging in exercises that posture you before the Spirit of God so that He can have His sanctifying work in His life, your life? Are you regularly intentionally entering into exercise and environments to posture yourself before Him? Or I could ask it this way, are you abiding in Him? Are you giving Him quality time? Not just a five-minute thing in the morning and get out and go, are you giving Him quality time? Or are you just going through the motions in your walk with Him right now? neglecting that relationship, and then trying to wing it all on your own. I've been there more times than you know. So I have an application, two application questions. 
What is one exercise, one exercise I can engage more fully in this week in order to attune myself to the Spirit? Um, and we're going to do the old bow, the bow your head, close your eye kind of thing. I, really, I want you to ask God, talk, talk to God briefly about that for a minute. Lord, what is one exercise I can engage in more, free, more fully this week so I can attune my heart to you? Lord, what is one environment I can more fully enter into in order to tune my heart to you? One environment I can more fully enter into. Okay, I recommended this app like two months ago, very briefly, but I'm going to throw it out again. Russinetta Bauk. Missionaries we support are the ones who put me onto this because she does it daily with him because where he is with his Alzheimer's, it's, it's helpful for him. And I'd never encountered it till I did it with him when we, Pat and I, were, had some time with him in Colorado. Um, it's this Lectio 365. I use it almost every day. And it's the first thing I do. It's six, seven minutes. It really helps me to start my attuning my heart to the Spirit of God. I'll go from that to my time in the Word and then my time in prayer, but I found it helpful. This may not be helpful for everybody, but it might be for you. So if you haven't tried it, I just recommend it. And now I ask, would you stand with me in prayer? We've been ending these names with um, prayer to God with these names, because I'm wanting us to learn to pray to God according to His names. So if you're able, stand. And like always, we do adoration, we move to thanksgiving, confession, and then supplication asking. So would you join with me in praying to God? Yahweh Im Kandesh, I fully acknowledge that you alone are the thrice holy one. Your purity no one can match. And I praise you for the fact that you and you alone are my sanctification. Thank you, Jesus, for offering yourself in sacrifice for me and for giving me your spirit, so that I might be transformed into your likeness. Just like my salvation, I thank you for the free gift of holiness that you alone can give. Thank you that I do not have to strive and grit my teeth to be changed, but it is something that you offer to me. So Lord Jesus, I confess, I have spent much of my Christian life simply trying to be good enough in my own strength and in my own power. I've not trusted in you to be my sanctification and have sought to do it on my own through my effort and willpower. Forgive me for that. How much you must deeply long for me to just simply draw close to you so you can have your transforming work in my life. That's what he longs for. So finally, my sanctifying Lord, I come to you seeking your transforming work in my life. Give me the desire to draw close to you so I can be changed by you. I long to become like you. Please help me to seek you and posture myself before you with greater intentionality. Daily, call me into those exercises and environments where I can be near to your heart and attune myself to you. I ask all this in the name of Jesus, 
the one who became to us our sanctification. And to that we all say, amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the reality that I do not have to bear the burden of my sanctification, of my heart transformation. I lived so long there, and the struggle was so hard, and I was so frustrated. And the journey is a journey of struggle, but I thank you for this reality. I pray that today that there would be that this vision has been cast, that there would be people who, who like have a better understanding that you're not only Yahweh Tzidkenu, our righteousness, that our salvation comes through you alone, but that you're also Yahweh Imkadesh, our sanctification, and that our transformation comes only from you. Lord, help us to live in this reality, to live with a willing heart, a desire to become like you, that we would enter into exercise and environment so we can attune our heart to you, so we can sympathetically vibrate with you, And may we just be utterly dependent upon you with grace in all of it. So we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Make us this kind of people. And pray again in your name. Amen. All right, 12th. You are sent to attune yourself to God and live lives that he will transform.